<sighs> okay, I have, an, <laughs> I have a dental appointment at 11 o'clock. It's 10.18 on this fine Monday morning. I'm getting dressed, so if you hear me huffing and puffing and scurrying about, it's because I'm getting ready. Well, I'm getting dressed. Took a shower. Uh, getting things together. I am one who does not like to be late for things. And I will kill myself not to be late for things. I'm not killing myself. I'm just not going to be late. Okay. No, I was thinking. Yes, it was. I was in the shower. I think happy thoughts in showers. I think deep thoughts in showers. I was thinking how as individual as every one of us is, as we are, um, we are in a long, well, in, in large measure, we are the combination of the people who influence us the most in our life, in our childhood especially, growing up. And then when we left home, we took whoever we had become at that point and then continued our journey uh, as an individual, um, heavily um, influenced by those people. For instance, I think the number one influence in my life, when I think back, is my grandmother. Totally. Spent a lot of time with her, saw her in countless situations, dealing with people. Because um, my mother and father worked, and during the summer, we spent it with my grandmother. So the majority of my childhood was heavily influenced by my grandmother. And my aunt, um, Aunt Helen, too. Probably the two... Of all of them, the two greatest influences on, you know, who who I am as a person, who I became as a person. Uh, my grandmother, for instance, is very practical. Didn't have, uh, I don't think she had a high school education, I think, because of her, her family needs. She wasn't able to finish high school. She had to help support the family, you know, living through the Great Depression uh, in World War II. So things were very tough for her. Um, she was always serving people. That was one of her hallmarks. She was the kind of person, if you were in her circle, she celebrated your successes and your achievements, and she mourned your hardships and did everything she could to help you through your hardships. If she didn't like you because you were the type of person that she did not associate with, she quietly celebrated um your, your successes and achievements. Um, but she never championed against you. So when things weren't going your way um, and you were going through tough times or sad or everything, she never reveled in your misfortune. She just wasn't that kind of a person. She kept her mouth shut, never said, good, they deserve that. Or, yeah, I was wondering when this was going to happen. She never said stuff like that, just didn't. If someone said to her, oh, did you know so-and-so there? She'd say, that's too bad. That's about all she'd say. That's too bad. And she meant it. It's too bad. They're having to suffer. And that was it. Um, as far as you know, just the type of person she was, she was honest. She was very plain spoken. She didn't try to, you know, influence you by uh, her command of the English language or show off. And she wasn't anything like that. She was just a person who knew who she, who she was supposed to be. And conduct herself accordingly. Yes, she was religious. She was Roman Catholic. Um, God, Christ, and the Holy Ghost were important to her. She attended church, I would say, as often as she could. Um, and she was, you know, she lived the Ten Commandments. 
She was that type of a person. She didn't smoke, drank very little, uh, drank coffee. Um, so she had moral, she had a morality that was mapped out. The do's and the don'ts, and she stuck to it. Aunt Helen was outspoken. Aunt Helen would tell, give you a piece of her mind. It's funny the little sayings you pick up. She'd say, "Well, I'll give you a piece of my mind, or I need, you know, I want to give you a piece of my mind. I got a bone to pick with you." That was another saying. I got a or to hell with them. That was another saying, which didn't mean she really meant to hell with them. She just meant this is a waste of time um, dealing with her, trying to tell this person whatever. To hell with them just meant. This is a waste of time, basically. It had other meanings, but that was a typical one. Now, the reason I'm telling you all this is because if you can identify the person or people in your life who made the greatest difference for good in your life, then you're able to identify what was it about them that made them um, you know, such, such an influence for good in your life. What kind of person were they? What some of the things they did? Uh, um, how do they handle certain situations? It can really help you in your adult life if you're trying to, because the further back you go, I would say, I would say more the more moral people were. I think the more, things were more clearly defined as good and bad, right and wrong, honest and dishonest. I think the the distinctions were, were easier to identify back then. I think now it's very, very difficult in many cases to truly say that's right or that's wrong. Because you're going to, for instance, I got into a discussion recently with somebody. And I was telling them, even though I engaged in the practice, I was telling them that premarital sex causes a variety of problems for people. And they looked like me like an, I was an idiot. They really did. They said, really? Like that? You think that, huh? And I said, well, I know because I engaged in it. it caused me a lot of problems. Men, you know, I said it messes up men as to what their responsibilities are and things like that. And it creates these appetites for, for sex. And with women, they get cast as being fallen women or soiled doves or whatever you want to call it. Um, I said, and it changes a person's thinking. I said, it really affects people long term. I said, like, when I was a kid, if you got a girl pregnant, you were expected to marry her because that was, as they would say, that's the price you pay. Now, they didn't mean you paid a physical price or that you had to pay some undetermined price. They just meant, and they said things like this, she's, she's, if she's good enough for bed, she's good enough to wed. They had a little saying with that, too. Meaning, if she is allowing you to have sex with her and you're having it with her, then you're supposed to have the love for her that goes along with the sex. Just having sex with people because they're good and bad or because you haven't had them, you wonder what they're like, that kind of stuff. In my family circle, that was not acceptable. You know, it just wasn't. You weren't supposed to have sex before marriage, but if you did, it was because you loved the person, they loved you, and you just couldn't wait. You wanted to have, you know, you wanted to enjoy each other. So the subsequent event to that, if it was pregnancy, meant marriage followed shortly after. Or when she was discovered to be pregnant, you hastily got married to confuse the birth of the child's day as to when you had the sex. I mean, some people went through extremes 
you know, wearing clothes so they didn't show. And you know, others just said, to hell with it. Yes, I'm pregnant. Yeah, we're going to get married. And that shut it off right there. Because the going to get married, Matt, um, we love each other and we're going to do what's right. Yes, we shouldn't have had sex, but we did. They're very practical. Uh, they didn't go for, oh, no, the hellfire is going to lick up at my feet and pull me down. They didn't look at it that way. They looked at it, yes, I wasn't supposed to have sex before marriage, but I did it anyway. And and I'm pregnant now. Or as he would say, yeah, we you know we had sex before marriage. I got her pregnant. This is what they said. I got her pregnant. They didn't say she let me get her pregnant. <laughs> I mean, you were a man if you blamed it on the woman. I mean, really, they look at you like something was dreadfully wrong with you. The man would say, I got her pregnant. And most of the time what I heard as a child was, yes, I got her pregnant and I love her. I want to marry her. You know, we just couldn't wait. And then they were accepted because it was accepted that, yes, you shouldn't have had sex before marriage, but you're doing everything that you're supposed to do to make up for it. She's pregnant. You're supposed to love her to have sex with her and her, her love you to give it up. And you did, and you're getting married. So it was like, okay, it's done. Everything's everything's been corrected. That's just one example. It was just like if you sold somebody a car. There were two types of people in my family. The person who would tell you exactly the age of the car wouldn't mess with the odometer. Those miles were the real miles, and they would tell you what was wrong with the car. That's how my grandmother was. You know, that's how some of my Uncle Mike and Aunt Pearl. So I had several relatives who were that way. They'd say, well, you know, it's, it's a 1962 Chevy. It runs well. You know, the brakes are probably going to need to be done here probably in 10,000 miles or so. You know, you're going to have to do the brakes pretty soon. They would tell you everything was wrong with the car and everything that was right with the car. And then they would, and I mean, I saw these negotiations. Then they would turn to say to you, you still want it. There was no pressure, no guilt, no nothing. It was just, this is the car. This is the year. These are the things that work. These are the things you might have to repair. If there was something absolutely wrong, they would tell you, um, yeah, the headlight, the driver's side headlights out. You're going to have to replace that. Do you want me to replace it before you get the car? You want to do it yourself. So some things they were willing to fix before they gave you the car. And if you said, well, you know, I really like the car and everything seems fine, then they would just ask you point blank. You still want it? Still want to buy it? And if you said yes, saying yes meant you had the money to pay them to buy the car. Things have changed a lot with people. The confirmation of yes didn't mean yes if I could get the financing. It didn't mean yes if you give me a lower price. Because you were looked down upon if you haggled with the person. Because the feeling was, I'm giving you the best price I can give you. There's no room for haggling. If you want it for $1,200, you have to pay $1,200. They didn't like that freaking, well, you know, I could get it somewhere else for 1000 They'd tell you, well, then go somewhere else. <laughs> they, was, they wouldn't argue with you. They'd just say, well, if you can get a better deal somewhere else, you need to go somewhere else. And that was how it was handled. But we, but you rarely ever saw that with, um, <laughs> sometimes because I had an uncle who was a wheeler dealer, and sometimes he'd say, "Well, what would you do if I told you a thousand? They said I'd tell you to take a walk. I mean, <laughs> that's just how. Then he would laugh. He said, "No, I'm not. You know, I'll, you want twelve hundred? I'll pay you twelve hundred. But it was comical the way he tried to edge his way in there by suggesting 
you know, maybe, you know, he'd lower, give you a lower price and you'd accept it. They would very matter of factly say, well, I'd tell you, I'd tell you to take a walk. Then they would laugh. You'd say, no, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to pull any BS here. Then they'd say, well, then don't. <laughs> it was just, it was like tennis back and forth, tit for tat. So then usually they'd laugh and they'd say, oh, well, okay. Well, yeah, great. I'll buy it for 1200 What do you want, cash? And they'd say, what do you think? Because in their minds, in God we trust, all, all others we don't. They wanted cash for it because cash represented real money. Checks rep represented they had to go to a freaking bank. The money not be, may not be there. It was an inconvenience. Cash was the way they dealt. Or trade. Like sometimes somebody would need money in, in the family. They did no interest loans in my family too. And that was somebody came. They had a need for money. And they would say, look, um, I need $100. I'm in a jam. This is, this is how the conversation went. I'm in a, I need $100. I'm in a jam. Can you loan me the money? They'd say, okay. Um, when are you going to pay me back? And they, they'd say such and such a time. So they'd say, okay, I'll tell you what. Give me your watch. How much is that watch worth? Well, that watch is worth $300. Is it worth 100 And this is how they operated. They'd say, is it worth 100 They'd say, no, that, for, that watch is $300. They'd say, okay, I'll tell you what. You let me hold on to that watch, and I'll give you the $100. So you had to pay a price for their trust. And this is what they would say to you. Um, when you get the $100, come back and see me, and I'll give you the watch. They never charged you interest on the money. They, didn't, they, they had hard feelings about interest rates. They just didn't believe it was right. If somebody needed you, your help... They didn't believe it was right to charge them money on money you loaned them when they needed your help. All they were supposed to do is give something for collateral. Sometimes they didn't even require that. But most times they wanted something in collateral to incentivize you to come back with the money. But the thing was, it didn't matter. They weren't going to say pay me in a week or a month or whatever. Their feeling was, when you want this watch back, you come back with $100 and I'll give you your watch. So even though the watch was worth three times the money they were loaning, they didn't sell the person's watch. They didn't trade it. That watch stayed in their house hidden until they came back with the money and they came back with $100. They gave them their watch. Everybody was happy. Um, so the rules and expectations were significantly different than they are now. There were three types of people. I imagine you wondered when I was going to get to that. There are three types of people. There are people who are drawn to the good, which is very few within this day and age, a select few, who are really drawn to good things. There are people who are drawn to the bad, you know, evil, wickedness, and a lot of people are playing with that. But there's still a larger portion. There's little who are drawn to the good, and there are little that are really drawn to wickedness and evil. When I say drawn, I mean that's they follow the beckoning call. The greater portion of the people are attracted to good and bad. They go back and forth. They're honest sometimes. They're dishonest others. They're honorable in uh, in their conduct sometimes. Other times they're not. They go back and forth. They're never static as to who they are. Um, uh, I had uncles like that. I had an aunt too, but we don't bring her up. But I had uncles that. We you know did things they weren't supposed to be doing. They did shady deals, 
and they would come around after they screwed somebody with all kinds of money and, and brag about how this idiot, they, you know, they sold them a car that was ready to blow up or, you know, you know they got them into this deal and they're making all this money off them and all this kind of stuff. The good relatives of my family ignored it. Just like they, they just kept their mouth shut. They sat there and they listened to them go on and on. And yeah, yeah, that's stupid. You know, he's such an idiot and all this stuff. They didn't respond. They didn't get involved. They just they, one. They didn't want to hear it, but the feeling was, it's coming back, because uh, a lot of the harvest. Um, and then when things turned on him, because I had about three uncles like this, when things weren't going bad, oh, they were pissing and moaning, and you know about that means complaining. Sicilian for complaining is pissing and moaning. They pissed them. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Things are so bad. Blah blah blah. They didn't say anything then either. They didn't say anything when they were bragging, and they didn't say anything to them when they were complaining about how bad things were. But the people who were like them were jealous when they were, you know, bragging about how much money they made or they screwed somebody, they got them in a deal or whatever. They were jealous of them because they had, you know, they had something they didn't have. Um, they had these benefits. And then when things weren't going well, then you would hear them say, well, when they were, okay, when things were going well, they would say, yeah, well, you know, that's the way it goes. Some people get the brains and some people don't. They would build them up and say, yeah, you couldn't do that to me. And then, and then the guy would say, well, the hell I couldn't. Then they'd all laugh. So that's what they did. When he did not, wasn't doing well or didn't make the money and was having a hard time, they would say, he would say, yeah, I just can't believe it. I'm freaking doing everything I can. Nothing's working out. And they'd say, of course it's not working out. Yeah, you're so freaking smart. <laughs> then they would attack him, which was hilarious to me because the stuff they said to each other, it was just hilarious because Italians role play uh, when they assault people. Um, <laughs> they do little pantomimes or role playing thing like, you know, like my one uncle who – he thought he got a really good deal on a boat motor and it turned out it was stolen and the police had the serial number and they suspected that this group of people were involved. So he was afraid because now he, he paid for the boat motor, which was stolen and he was, in, you know, he had stolen property and he was out the money. So he was trying to stash the thing because he didn't want to be caught with it because he was one of the, one of the ones they thought might have it. And <laughs> and when he came to my grandmother's and he was, you know, scared, upset, wanted to know where he could put it. Do you mind if I put it here? My grandmother said, I don't I don't let any stolen property on my property. You know, I can't help you. You're just going to have to find some other place to put it. And, uh, and then my aunt was saying, oh, yeah, the big man, Mr. Deal. Yeah, this is what Sicilians do to you when they go after you. Oh, yeah, there's a freaking brain trust here. You know, the whiz kid. Going to go out and buy a boat motor only to discover it's stolen. I mean, that's what they do to you to punish you if you're one of those kinds of people, you know. <laughs> Why don't you put it behind you? Just stand still so they can't see it. They make fun of you like that. You know, you think you're so smart, but you're not so smart. Now you're running scared because you did something stupid. That's what they do to you. Well, I saw all this because as a child, being spending summers with my grandmother and being babysat by my grandmother and Aunt Helen many times, 
I got to see how they interacted with older people, different people from, from their, their groups, relatives included, and friends, neighbors, and stuff like that. And I got to see how other people are in given situations. So when I was very young, it was easy for me to predict somebody's behavior based on what type of person, whether they were good, a mixture of good and bad, or bad. It was easy to predict how the person would act in given circumstances, and they don't disappoint. They don't. Yeah. The good and the bad are easy to predict because they're, they're solidly good or solidly bad. The ones who are good and bad, you have to pay more attention to because sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad. Um, before, um, before identity theft became known as identity theft, the mob was doing it for years, um, years and years. And I had a relative call me up one day and tell me, um, well, they asked me, basically. They said that, you know, because of all the trouble they had been in as a criminal, they couldn't buy a house. And I said, I said, well, people buy houses uh, in a variety of ways. I said, you know, why can't you buy a house? They said, well, you know, well, my credit's bad and my name is bad. You know, you got felonies. And when they look you up, they see you got felonies and they do background checks, all this kind of stuff. And I said, well, I don't know how I can help you. And this is what they said. And I, and this is what's funny. I had no idea about identity theft because it wasn't even being talked about. But when they suggested that I let them use my social security number, I said, what? They said, yeah, just let me use your social security number so I can buy a house under your name and then I'll just make the payments. Well, I'm not stupid. I don't think I'm a freaking genius, but I'm certainly not stupid. One, it was wrong to me because he was using my, he wanted to use my social security number to buy his house. That was wrong. It was wrong because he was misrepresenting who he was. So I didn't have to be told that it was fraud you know, because he's pretending to be me. That's fraud. You know, that's wrong to do that. So for me, what protected me is I'm the kind of person who does not want to do things that are wrong. I just don't. Even if it was helping people, I want to help a person, but I don't want to do what's wrong to help them. I want to keep it honest and above board. So I said to him, yeah, but if you use my social security number to get a loan, that's fraud. Said, no, it's not. It's not fraud. Because if you apply, this is what I'm telling you, pay attention. They said, that's not fraud, because if you would have applied for it yourself with your Social Security number, they would have given you the loan. So either way, it's like you're getting the loan anyway. And I said, no, it's not that way, because it's you who's getting the loan, not me. And they said, well, what's the difference? And I laughed and I said, the difference is I'm not getting the loan, but you are under my name and Social Security number. That's fraud. It's fraud. I so said, I can't do it. I so said, I can't help you. Years later, I find out it's identity, identity fraud. And if they would have bought the house, I would have been saddled with the responsibility to pay, pay that loan back. It would have hurt my credit. could have done a lot of things. I might have even been indicted for fraud, loan fraud. But because I'm the kind of person who does not want to engage 
and things that are not right, that alone protected me from getting involved in, in that thing, which I knew nothing about at the time, which could have been devastating to me as a person. Yeah. Okay. I have, to, I have to leave in just about five minutes, so I'm going to close this out. A suggestion. Look back in your life to the person who made the, the greatest amount of influence over you for good. Look back over your life for the people who you know were good, bad people, back and forth. And look back in your life and look at the people you knew were bad. No question. Bad to the bone. And use those experiences from your past to help guide you in the present, in right now, in the decisions of your life. And think back to the scenarios that you were part of, you got to see as a kid, um, the way that people dealt with things and the way people acted, and all that kind of stuff. You might find that it's a, it's a good jump start to who you, you know, if, if you're wavering right now and struggling to make decisions and know what's right or wrong, that could help you tremendously. If you do that, a lot of times it's the mother. Most of the time I'd say it's the mother or it's a woman. Um, I would say most people I talk to, when we talk about this and they look back, it's almost always a woman. Because back in that day, um, women were the nurturers of the children. So you were taught more from women about, you know, morality, right and wrong and fair play and all that stuff. Occasionally, You'll hear people say, my father. Because of the two, the father was the one who was good, and the mother was more the one who was good, bad. Um, she, she wasn't to be, she, you know, you couldn't always trust her, couldn't always believe what she said. Um, uh, just all those different types of things that you see with people. She wasn't a bad mother, but she did things that she shouldn't have done. No, maybe maybe in a store, you know, I, I've seen this where people put stuff in their basket down below and they run everything on the top and they push the basket ahead. So it can't really be seen. And then they put their groceries over stuff. I've seen them do that in Walmart. Unfortunately for you, Walmart picks up on that stuff and they politely take the items out of your shopping cart or tell you to go back and pay for it. You must've forgotten. They give you the benefit of the doubt because they want your money. They don't want to put you in jail. They'd rather make they'd rather make the sale. So they'll say, "Oh, I'm sorry, sir, but that case of oil you forgot to pay for." Oh, really? Of course they know they didn't pay for it. So they say, "Do you still want the oil?" Well, yeah, I need the blankety blank stuff. Well, if you want to go here, we'll we'll send you over here, and you can just pay for it here. They want your money. They don't even want your freaking honesty. They just want your money. So they will allow you to pretend like you didn't know the oil, the case of oil was in your cart to get to your money. But they're not letting you leave the store with the oil. You can rest your freaking soul on that one. Not getting out of there with a case of oil. It's a poor substitute for honesty when people have to be compelled to be honest. It's much better. For me, I prefer to know if a person's honest or not, and then I deal with it accordingly. I'm not the freaking morality police. I don't go around trying to make people live up to the standards they're supposed to be living. I say, you know what the standards are. I think most people know good and evil, right and wrong, and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
I basically say to you, choose choose which one you want to be. If you want to be honest, great. If you don't want to, great. It'll just the only thing it does is it affects my relationship with you. That's the only thing it does. But it certainly doesn't, you know, bring the world to an end. Life will go on with or without you. Life will go on with or without me in your life. That's that's the way it is. But what what blessing it is to a person to be able to say, I'm honest. Or to be able to say, I wasn't trying to take advantage of them or something. Whatever the thing is in your life, whatever the standard is you're supposed to live, you have to decide that. Yes, I'm putting a shirt on. It's a pullover type thing. It's like 40 degrees outside, which is nothing for here. Let's see how late is it? Oh, 1046. Got to say goodbye. Anyways, wish the best of luck. Think about this. Goodbye.